the culture shock that I remember the most was just feeling so much shame because I, when I met the people and started hanging out with them and going to their homes and, and, and building my team that was going to be doing this work, I just fell in love with the people and the culture. And I felt so just bad for believing those lies that I had heard from the news or from people that didn't know any better and having all this fear and anxiety built up. And then I get there and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's, these people are nothing like what I had thought. Welcome to the follow-up from Premier Speakers Bureau, featuring in-depth conversations with the world's most in-demand keynote speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord, president here at Premier Speakers Bureau, and we're excited to have on with us today Doc Henley. Doc is the founder and president of Wine to Water, a nonprofit organization that serves in communities to provide clean water for people in need around the world. In 2003, Doc dreamed up the concept of Wine to Water while bar bartending and playing music in nightclubs around Raleigh, North Carolina. Then, not too long after, five or six years later, Doc was selected as, as uh, one of the top 10 CNN heroes in 2009. Now, Wine to Water has grown from one man's mission to a global movement of clean water, having reached more than 1 million people in 45 countries. And, uh, and Doc, uh, as he likes to say, is proof that anyone, even a tattooed keg tapper, can cure what ails the world. So, Doc, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So, where did the original idea come for wine to watch it's almost 20 years now it's hard to believe because i remember when it got like, not long after it got started we heard about you the first time um where where did that idea get started it's a great question and it, it, you know a lot of people are talk about like i'm the founder i had this idea and i actually kind of view it a little strangely like kind of the opposite i feel like wine to water found me more than than me like founding it um <laughs> it started in, in a crazy middle of the night experience in in december of 2003 um, I, I was bartending, uh, in an old Irish pub in Raleigh. I loved my job. Honestly, I, I was like, you know what? I love being a bartender. I think I can do this for the rest of my life. Like I really, I loved it that much. I, I, you know, I'm like, this is, you know, this is where I belong. And, and so I got to a point where, uh, I wanted a break from the bars Christmas, 2003, December, 2003. I needed a break from the pub. I wanted to visit family and, and kind of just get away for a week or two. My boss was really generous. He's like, take as much time as you need. And so I came, uh, uh, my parents had just retired to a little small mountain community in North Carolina named Boone. And, um, I went up there just to have some time for myself. And in the middle of the night, I, I had this phrase in my head, wine to water over and over. And it, I, I was kind of half asleep, half awake. And it was kind of freaking me out because those things don't really happen to me. And then I, so I, now I'm kind of awake. I'm like, why is it in my head? Why is it backwards? My daddy was a preacher man growing up. So I heard all about like water to one, but like, why is it in my head? Why is it backwards? What's going on? So now I can't sleep. So, you know, as you said in the intro, like I, I also played a little music. So I thought, you know, maybe this is inspiration for like a song that I'm going to write. And I'm going to be this Nashville like songwriter. This is really, all right, cool. I'm getting excited. So I write Wine to Water on the page, right? Just to start writing a song. And the second I could see the words written on the page, my insides just kind of got all like, like knotted up and I just got this nervous feeling and I'm like, it's not supposed to be a song. I don't know what it is, but it's supposed to be something different. And uh, so I, I stayed up the rest of the night, hopped on the computer, started researching. Um, I've dealt with wine every day at my job, so I didn't look up anything about that. It's about water. And I found out something I had no idea about before that night, my 23, 24 years of life or whatever it was at that time. I had no idea there were, there were young kids, there was families walking hours every single morning to get 
something that I have coming out of my tap and have never thought twice about. Like I had no idea that once they walk hours and bring their water back, it looks closer to what I have in my coffee cup right here than what we have in a nice bottle. And they drink that. And unfortunately, the number one reason why mama is going to have to bury her child before they reach the age of five uh, then and now, unfortunately, still is, is because of diarrheal disease due to dirty water and, and water related issues. And I was just captivated, honestly, that night. And um, I'm like, this is it. I, I, this is what I'm supposed to be doing in my life. So I'd get other bars in town to like donate space or or food or like the local breweries would donate beer or, or wine from wineries. And I get people to donate things, host an event, raise money. And my thought was just to give all the money away, let somebody else do all this water work and I'll keep being a bartender. And that really led to my first job offer. When I went to the first organization, like, hey, I've raised this money. I just want it to go to water. How does this work? I don't know how charities work. Uh, instead of just walking away as a donor, they ended up hiring me. And uh, so six months after my very first wine to water event in August of 04, I'm on a plane flying to Sudan uh, and just utilizing the money that we had raised and starting to dig wells for people in the middle of the, geno- uh, in the, middle of the genocide there in, in Darfur. And, I guess never looked back after that. So yeah, that's not where I mean that's not where you would think to start. Like there are a lot of places that need water, and going to one of the most dangerous places on earth <laughs> at that time is not what. What made you start there? Is it just they're like, hey, this kid's young, doesn't know any better? Well, no. <laughs> so the um, the guy I went to meet ended up being a mentor of mine. He was a well driller before he got involved with this other charity. And so I went to go give the water, the money. And I'm like, how, how does it work? How do I know it's going to go to water? So he started asking me all these questions and I, and I was asking him questions. And so uh, he answered all mine. I'm like, great. I trust you guys. I'm going to give your money. And at the very end, he's like, why are you, why are you doing this? You, are you looking for a job? I'm like, no, I got a great job. I'm just looking for someone to take this money that I can trust. And he's like, I told him about wine and water and the weird thing that happened that night. And the people at the bars that are getting really excited and getting behind this. And he's like, you know, I think I think there's a lot of people that need something like this in their lives that our organization probably doesn't reach the folks in the pubs and the bars. And, and it's because most people know it's just as it's not just the beneficiaries to get the water that are blessed from things like this. It's also the people that get to give who's both people's lives are changed. And so he's like, I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, the people you're reaching here. Um, but he's like, you can't, you can't keep, uh, raising this money and being the face of this wine water thing. If you've never been there or actually seen this work, you need to see it more than just a screen on a computer. So why don't you let me send you somewhere? He, he showed me on the map, all the different projects. Here's where you can go. Uh, and I'm like, well, look, I don't, I don't have an engineering degree. I've never really viewed myself as like the smartest guy in the, in the whole world. So just send me to the worst place on that map. Cause I like, if it's really bad, I can't really mess it up any more than it's already messed up. <laughs> and, and so he's like, well, that's going to be Afghanistan or this place called Darfur in Sudan. But in Afghanistan, we've got a team that can pick you up the airport. They can show you what to do. Darfur is brand new. Like it's just new genocide happening. There's, we're going to have somebody there maybe a week or two before you, but you're all going to be figuring out on your own. And I'm like, all right, so let's do Sudan. I'll go there. So that's, that's how the, that's how that off. Do you remember <laughs> stepping off the plane? What what did that feel like? Because I know I've done some like you know trips to places that are, are a little bit different. What was that? What that experience walking off the plane or going through that different kind of airport the first time? Well, for me, like you know, I, I, my my worldview again was quite small. You can tell by the way I talk. I'm from the Carolinas. I hadn't really traveled all that much, and my world was you know up a few bars in in the south and and. uh so I get there, and first of all, just the difference. I mean, I land in Khartoum, which is the capital of Sudan, and it's like literally 
you know, 110 plus, like getting off in this desert, Sahara desert. So it's just like physically strikingly different than the temperate climate from North Carolina that I'm used to. Um, and then to go even hotter desert in Darfur. And so, you know, there's that, there's the middle of a genocide that was shocking. But for me, you know, I tell folks that the thing that was culture shock the most and, and the best way possible was this whole, I, I had a lot of fear going into Darfur, the, the demographic even of the population, 95% tribal black African Islamic. And here I'm a Southern white guy from a Christian home in the South. And so I'm like, I'm scared, you know, to go there. I got family members, aunts, uncles, like, why are you all going, why are you going to help these people? They're, they probably just want to, you know, hurt you or whatever. Why, why would you do this? And I didn't really have an answer. And now I'm terrified. I'm like listening to all these outside voices, watching the news about all that was happening post 9-11 from Islamic countries. So how this fear and I get there and the first two weeks, the culture shock that I remember the most was just feeling so much shame because I, when I met the people and started hanging out with them and going to their homes and, and, and building my team that was going to be doing this work, I just fell in love with the people and the culture. And I felt so just bad for believing those lies that I heard from the news or from people that didn't know any better and having all this fear and anxiety built up. And then I get there and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's, these people are nothing like what I had thought. They're so amazing and beautiful in the culture and like everything, like why would anyone be afraid of, of, so anyway, there was a lot of culture shock, both from the physical landscape to a whole lot of other areas that I needed more than anything in my life at that time. From the standpoint of water, what does water do? Like what difference does it make for those who don't know? I mean, as you know, we don't, when NASA goes to another uh, look at other planets. The first thing they look for for signs of life is is there signs of water. If there's no signs of water, there's no chance for life. It's just impossible. So without water, there is no life. It's the same with us. Um, and I always think of like water is like the most. I think it's the most powerful thing on the planet. Like we've we've had maybe a hurt. We're getting ready to come up on hurricane season, right? There's one probably come up the coast. I think like literally in the next couple of days. And that water, it literally has to, it's so powerful. It can save lives. It can bring people together, but it also is so powerful. It can cause destruction and chaos. And there's wars that are fought over water. The next greatest world wars probably aren't going to be fought over oil like they used to be historically or property or other things. They'll be probably in the future fought over water. Um, but I think if water is treated correctly, like if we do it right, um, Water has the ability and the power to unite people and unite cultures of multiple different backgrounds and belief systems and faiths or no faiths at all or whatever. Water has the ability to bring people together and heal people. If you, if you, if you do water work correctly, I believe it has the ability to heal a lot of brokenness in our world. And that's why I love wine and water so much. Like not just about pop a well on the ground or build a filter. We look holistically at everything. Like what can we do to bring so many different people groups and cultures together and have water physically, literally heal them, but also heal them maybe culturally and in the community and, and help people to see the value in each other and not just, oh, they're from another tribe or another community or another background. So we do really believe water is a tool that allows a lot of healing to happen. So. Yeah. And I love it too. I mean, like I've seen you talk about before, like it helps women be able to have jobs, you know, that those hours a day spent walking, you can raise your kids, you can um, raise crops, you can own a business and run a store. I mean, it's just amazing things that the wells you and others have helped build have been able to do in those communities. 100%. I, I had somebody ask me today, like, 
if one person that sticks out of all the, now we're, like you said, over a million, and we're actually over 50 countries now. So millions of people, what's one that sticks out? And when they asked it, the one that jumped off in my head was a lady that I met in Cambodia. We visited her home after we put a well in for her family and her little community. Uh, and it had been there for about five years. Um, and when we visited it, and uh, she told me her story. She said, you know, before I got this well, I used to have to go to the different community leaders in town and beg for, for rice, for food for my children and my family. My husband died and I'm, I'm left to take care of him. Then Wanda Water came and put a well in uh, for us. And from then on, one, I wasn't spending any more money or having to try to beg for money or anything to, to get medicine because my children just stopped being sick now. And then after that, I started taking the excess water that I didn't need for drinking. And she created a little small farm garden and growing her own crops. And to your point right there, like by five years later, she now had put people from the surrounding community coming to her because she had an abundance. So she had more than what she needed for her family. And she was able to give and provide for her community from the little small farm that she had planted from the well that we put in for her. So it just leads to so much. Like That's why I just love, I love my, I can't, I literally have to pitch myself every day. Like this my, I get to do this. Like really? It's uh, pretty cool. <laughs> That's great. So how has the uh, the past two years, like the pandemic response to that, how has that affected what you do? I mean, holy moly, I was terrified the first few months of the pandemic, not just because I'm not the pandemic, but I mean, a third of all nonprofits shut their doors uh, during the pandemic. Like it was devastating. Um, and we didn't know if we were going to be able to stay open. Obviously, we couldn't fly and support our teams globally. And and so it was so cool to watch our community. So there's there's about 60 of us around the world. We have office in Nepal that covers Southeast Asia, office in Tanzania that covers East Africa, office in Dominican, which is kind of Central American and Caribbean, office in, um, in Bogota, which covers Colombia and the Amazon jungle. And these teams that uh, this is our whole goal is to empower and build up our local communities and teams on the ground. And they just pivoted like we weren't able to we didn't know how much money we we're going to be able to send to dig new wells and build new filters so we have factories and things like that that and they weren't able to start to keep making water filtration systems like uh, like in the early days there so they used resources they had and they started building hand washing stations because a big thing in, in the communities at the beginning of the pandemic a lot of healthcare facilities not only didn't have mask and ppe equipment when it, that especially when that first strain was coming through and it was like really bad um, they had nothing to even wash their hands with, you know. So our teams pivoted and started creating these hand washing stations in Nepal, Tanzania, and uh, in Latin America. And we put thousands of hand washing stations all throughout healthcare facilities, schools, um, you know, uh, police stations, you know, people that couldn't just take the day off and stay at home and work remote. Like, so we started putting all these, um, so a water organization uh, hygiene and sanitation are, are under the umbrella of what we do. So we started focusing very heavy on hygiene and sanitation early days of pandemic and local governments like the Nepali government was, were like, like, can y'all help us? And so that literally our, our teams in the field, like really kept our organization, not just afloat, a, a like to where we continue operating, but actually we grew, we were able to help more people during the pandemic than we ever had. And so, again, it's kind of that thing, like in the beginning, there was a lot of fear of what do we do? But our, our teams are, our, our culture is so good at being like entrepreneur and shifting and not being afraid and just standing still and waiting for whatever to happen. Like we move, we, whether it's right or wrong, we move one way or the other and we figure it out. And our teams here in the U.S., you know, we were the restaurants. And um, in North Carolina, I have millions of restaurant employees 
lost their jobs in a day. Um, and below the wine and water offices, there's a whole uh, a restaurant and pub uh, downstairs. And uh, that that's we have uh, some mutual ownership of like friends and family that have uh, ownership. So they shut down. So we cleared out all the tables and wine and water started providing meals and food to the restaurant workers that lost their jobs. We started getting sponsorships so that. And we fed over 250,000 meals in wow. those early days when, when restaurant workers. And so again, we're not a food organization, but the people that made our organization who we are all of a sudden can't put dinner on the table. And so again, at, by the time we come out of the pandemic year, two years later, we've got a team of people that believed in us before that we were able to physically feed and put food on their table during that time here in North Carolina. And we got teams now around the world working with hospitals, police stations. And so our organization now has, uh, has been growing quite a bit uh, from the middle and then on even after, uh, after the pandemic. So it's pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah, that's amazing. So, uh, you know, as you're doing these things, kind of um, one of the things I know you talk about as well is that, uh, you know, you were somebody that had a lot of flaws um, and maybe still to all of us do. Um, <laughs> what made you be able to look past those flaws and focus on your strengths? You know, I don't know if I ever really do a great job of looking past them because I'm a kind of person. Sometimes I get stuck on my flaws still because I'm very aware of my mistakes and my failures and things I should do better. Um, but I think because that's just it's been who I am since I was little, like I I've, I don't know why it is, but like so I, I have, like even after my time in Darfur, I look back at that year, and even though we helped thousands of people, like I look at the things I should have done different, I should have done better, and it hung over my head. And I almost, honestly, I almost quit and went back to being a bartender and would have given up and not done wine in the water mm-hmm. had it not been for my wife. I met my wife like three days after coming home, and she gave me the strength to not just see. You know, it's kind of like when I first went into Sudan, I believed this lie about the people that I was going to see. Well, I have this voice in my head that lies to me a lot of times, but sometimes I believe it. And I don't have the strength in and of myself to, to see the truth. So uh, There's so much I rely on the people that I love and respect around me to help me see those things. And so really, that's what that's happened throughout Wine and Water's history, whether it's from the very first person that helped me stay on track, which is uh, which is my wife, or whether it's the, uh, you just saw earlier before we hopped in this call, Carrie, who works closely with me uh, here at Wine to Water, whether it's through Parmoda, our COO uh, from, from India, who lived half his life in Botswana, and well, the team around me, like they helped me um, on those times that I sometimes like uh, can only see the, the things that I should have done different or better. And so I, I don't know if I've ever quite figured that out, but what I figured out is surround myself with people that 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 we all encourage each other and build each other up uh and and so yeah i don't i don't know if that's a great way to answer the questions because <laughs> i don't know if i do the greatest job of that yet or not <laughs> no no that's great that's great well one thing i guess following up on that like how do you choose people so whether it was when you first landed in darfur and you took those two or three weeks to put together a team or whether you're putting together this international organization that's helping a million people in 45 countries, how do you find people to help offset your weaknesses and, and sort of build on those strengths? Uh, that's a great question. You know, well, I think two things happen. There's sometimes I'm looking and, I, and I'll find somebody like I need somebody with a specific strength that I know that I need that I don't have or the area that I'm weak. And so I'll look and then, you know, it, it's, it's crazy how um, whether it's from that and I'm um, like, we had a uh, interim CEO for a while that I wanted, I didn't want to go back and have to get a business degree because I never really learned how to 
do business and hire and fire and be a boss and all that. So I hired for five years as a CEO to come on uh, and lead the organization and then let me learn from them that, you know, back in 2013 or 14 uh, until like uh, just before the pandemic, like 18 or 19. And, uh, and it was crazy. We had this stack of, of people wanting the position from LinkedIn and all the other sites out there. And the one that I saw the most, they just jumped off the page. I kept them on the top of the stack, but I like called everybody else because I was afraid that this person <laughs> would be like, just there's no way that we want, we, we can't afford him. We can't, you know, and uh, and all the others, the doors just shut. And this is the last one we waited and it ended up being perfect. And he's on the board still to this day. He's a dear friend of mine. Uh, so even when we're looking, it's always something that's just almost miraculous that happens for like, this is it, this is the person. But then there's a lot of times where I, there's times where we're not even looking, but it's just like, just out of nowhere, like my wife or like people that come on, like, I like just at the perfect time of, okay, here's a problem. And how do we have a solution to this problem? And then right at that time, there'll be somebody that's like, all right, I need you. I can't figure this out on my own. Um, and really that's kind of how our team has been built organically. Um, and we've, you know, like other organizations, we've had a, a lot of turnover. There's times that there's life cycles of entities and organizations, and there's people that are made for the early years of four or five people, you know, all wearing different hats and uh, and then as an organization grows and you need to wear the same hat and get zeroed in or anything, those people naturally move on to another environment that's similar. And we're just like anybody else. We still have those same type of, you know, issues just the way any other entity does. So, mm -hmm. yeah. so one last question here, maybe the most important one, uh, which is cooler, martial arts or clogging? Oh, that's a great question. If you ask my wife, who's like <laughs> national champion clogger, actually, <laughs> I'll tell you, it's cooler to watch clogging. I'm just going to tell you. It's not cheesy like that one insurance commercial like where they're clogging upstairs in the roof and people are like, oh, the clogging like, like literally my, my wife's feet move so fast, I can't. It's like a superhuman strength. So to watch <laughs> it, it's, it's way cooler to watch clogging. But to, for me to do it, because my feet don't move that fast, you know, we, we have a little MMA gym here in town. My kids wrestle and, and do MMA a bit. And so, you know, I'm a, I'm a big MMA fan. But I'd have to say, I think probably clogging is a, is a decent amount cooler to watch. So. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, thanks. I, I, I want to make sure I ask at least one question you never got before. And I don't know. That was definitely, uh, well, that was a curveball and I loved it. That was awesome. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, Doc, thank you so much uh, for one, being on this podcast, but just making a difference in so many people's lives and, and giving not just, you know, the people there uh, in the different countries where you go, but also, you know, here in the U.S., donors around the world. Thanks for giving them a chance to serve too. So we really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the follow-up. To learn more about today's guest, go to premierspeakers.com. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen.